You found a podcast where you'll hear the truth, and we will praise Jesus' name. We stand for the Bible and won't back down from it, although it don't bring much fame. Some folks will like it, some will try to deny it, but God's word will always stand true. It's been tried in the fire, still good. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Pod King Podcast. I'm your co-host, Donald King. We're glad to have Brother Chris Lee with us today. Glad to be here. Brother Donnie. Glad to be here. This is Friday, March the 18th, Systematic Theology number 8. Special edition number 21, The Fall of Man. On this podcast, we study the Bible according to how it was written in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, and how it was translated into English in the King James Version. In our last study, we saw that we are told to not be carried about with strange doctrines. We studied about the altar, the sacrifices, and how Jesus sanctifies us with his own blood. Jesus suffered without the gate, so we shouldn't shirk from bearing his reproach as we are seeking the city to come. We should offer our sacrifice to God continually, the fruit of our lips with praise to his name. In today's episode, Brother Donnie and Brother Chris Lee expound upon the fall of man. They will be talking about various things that are included in this topic, and they will be explaining some of the terminology of this doctrine. They tell us why it is still important for us to know these things, and they offer some understanding on how we should view this in our modern day. Now for the teaching of God's Word and the lesson for today, I'll turn it to the host of our podcast, our pastor, Brother Donnie King. We're so thrilled that you're tuning in to listen today. We feel like this is of the utmost importance for all of us to understand what the fall of man is and what it means to us today. Every person who has ever lived has wondered about their existence at some point in their life. Man questions his origin. Where did I come from? Man questions his identity. Who am I? Man questions his meaning. Why am I here? Man questions his morality. How am I to live? Man questions his destiny. Where am I going? We all ask ourselves these questions, or at least a form of them, at some point in our lives. The cause of these questions can be found in the fall of man. When man fell, it began to create a series of questions that man would always ask himself that relates back to what happened in the beginning with our original father, Adam. We believe that man was created in the image of God, as we spoke in our last episode of Systematic Theology. Through voluntary disobedience and transgression, man fell from grace and innocence to the depths of sin and iniquity. Because of this, all of mankind are sinners sold unto Satan. We are sinners not by constraint, but rather by choice. The devil doesn't just grab you and take you. He takes you by your own choice. You choose to do right or you choose to do wrong. The Bible says that we are shapen in iniquity. We're utterly void by nature of the holiness of God. We're evil, we're guilty, and we're without excuse. We justly deserve the condemnation of a holy God. Although man was created in God's image, even though man was placed in an ideal environment, even though man was given everything he ever needed, Adam still rebelled against God and disobeyed his commandment. The result of Adam's sin was shame. The result of Adam's sin was also guilt. The result of Adam's sin was alienation and death, death for himself, death for all humanity. 
We believe that man was created for God's glory, according to Isaiah 43 and 7. Man can best glorify God by freely choosing to worship and to serve him. It's because of all of these things it was necessary that Adam be given an opportunity to make a choice. The Garden of Eden was not only paradise, but it was also a place that God was testing the obedience of his creation. It could be said that Adam and Eve had holy natures, but they did not have holy characters. Now, let me explain the difference here. A holy nature is the result of creation. A holy character is the result of one choosing good over evil. To choose evil results in an evil character. God desired the worship and service of beings with holy moral characters. So free choice was necessary for the development of true holiness. With free choice, there is of necessity the possibility of making the wrong choice. Adam and Eve, we know, made the wrong choice, and it came with disastrous consequences, both for themselves and for the human race. In Genesis 3 and 1, the temptation of Adam and Eve is attributed to the serpent. Let me read you that. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The tempter is called the serpent, but we know the tempter is actually Satan, according to Revelation 12 and 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. John calls the serpent the devil. He calls him Satan. He refers to him as the dragon. All of this is the same being. Paul exposes the identity of the serpent as Satan when he suggested that it was the same tempter who beguiled Eve that was seeking to corrupt the minds of all believers. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, Paul said, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's not hard to recognize that man has fallen, but without Scripture, The fall of man and the temptation of man is left to conjecture. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, God said, In the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. So before man ever fell from favor with God, there were events that led up to this or preceded the fall of man. And that was a commandment of God was given. Not only did God give a commandment, but man questioned God's authority. They questioned God's goodness. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent said, God doth know that your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods. He made mankind feel as though God was holding him back from something, keeping man from thereby reaching his full potential. But we understand that God's law is for our good and for our own welfare and not to keep us from reaching our full potential. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 24 said, And the Lord commanded us to do these statutes for our good always, that he might preserve us alive. God's laws are not to keep us hemmed in, but rather to keep that which is wicked pushed back. So God's goodness was questioned. God's commandment was ignored. And God's word was questioned. The question that Satan asked, hath God said? Then he goes on in verse 4 and said, you shall not surely die. Satan's biggest attack in coming against the people of God is attacking the authority of the word of God or the authority of Scripture. Man, by nature, doesn't want the authority of Scripture and doesn't want the authority of God. Man longs to be his own God. 
Thus, we find in the temptation of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, Eve saw that the tree was good for food. 1 John 2 and 16, this is the lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes. That is the lust of the eyes. It was desired to make one wise. It enticed her pride of life. And through these temptations, God's word is ultimately rejected. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible said, and she took of the fruit, and then the next phrase is startling, and did eat. And she gave to her husband, and he did eat. And from this, man has fallen into sin. The book of Romans said, for as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. To understand what we're talking about, we need to understand what the fallen state of man or man's lost condition really is and what that means to us. The scriptures plainly teach that man was created in the image of God. Genesis 3 describes Adam's disobedience. We read of his fall. While Genesis 4 through 11 portrays Adam's descendants with all of their calamities and all of the strife that comes along with it. Man still bears enough of God's image to demonstrate his divine origin. Man's history is full of war. It's full of crime. It's full of perversions. It's full of all manner of sin and iniquity. All of this gives evidence of the fall of man. None of those things existed before they tasted of the fruit that Brother Chris was talking about. The fall resulted in curses. It resulted in shame. It resulted in sin. The immediate consequence of the sin of Adam and Eve was that of the sense of shame. They felt shameful for what they had done. They hid themselves from God because they were suddenly aware of their nakedness. Shame led to fear. It led to alienation. It made them want to go away from God, not draw nigh to God like God had originally planned, like the will of God had been from the beginning so he could have communion and fellowship with them. They wanted the experiential knowledge of good and evil which they were tempted to believe would make them divine. In reality, they got only the knowledge of evil with good completely out of man's reach. Had Adam and Eve obeyed, they would have had the experience of knowledge of good with the knowledge of evil as God knows and abhors. In man's lost condition, we see that because of sin, man is considered as lost. God is the only being who has direction for our lives. To live without God means that you have no direction in life. If man has no direction in life, he's considered lost. This speaks of how man is lost through his sinfulness, but also by his unregenerate condition. Man is born in sin. Man needs redemption. Man needs atonement. Man needs justification. Man can't even help himself. Man surely can't save himself. Man couldn't restore his relationship with God on his own. The Adamic nature that we inherit at birth is full of rebellion and disobedience, and we're prone to sin. And all of this started when God gave man his curses. When man sinned against God and rejected the word of God, God pronounces warnings and curses, and we find that they are perfectly fulfilled. When God comes to the garden that day, Adam has disobeyed God, Eve has been deceived, and thus disobeyed God. I've often wondered what must have happened in their heart and in their spirit when they heard that voice in the garden and he asked this simple question, Adam, where art thou? wonder how the conscience of man must have been pricked, the sense of guilt that must have flowed over them. Some have speculated that 
Adam walked with God every day in the cool of the day. The Bible doesn't specifically say that. We do know that God come down on one occasion and spoke with Adam. But let's imagine that men's ideas are true and that this was something that happened every day in the evening or the morning, however it was, that God would come down and walk with Adam and Eve and commune with them and speak with them. The joy, the pleasure, the bliss, the insight that must have been shared between creator and creation. But when that fellowship was breached, when something inside of the man died, and he disobeyed what God said, and he hears that voice of the Almighty God as it passes through the garden, and he just simply inquires, Adam, where art thou? We have all felt condemnation. We've all felt conviction from the Word of God. But I'd say we have never felt guilt quite like Adam and Eve felt that day when God began to inquire of their whereabouts, and they had to present themselves We understand that Stephen, the message that he preached in Acts chapter 7, his words were irresistible. They could not resist him. Imagine how it must have felt knowing you're guilty and God begins to call you out, knowing you cannot resist that voice that's calling to you. Adam, where art thou? When they present themselves and then God gives a follow-up question that was probably even more disturbing than the first, God simply asked, hast thou eaten? How can you lie right in the face of God? How can you look God or see his appearance, his glory there and lie to him? I envision the truth just being drugged or pulled, ripped out of the conscience of Adam when God asked him the question, hast thou eaten? And Adam, in the first account that we find, I guess, of self-righteousness in the Bible, Adam tries to justify himself by blaming someone else. He blames the very woman, the helpmeet that God gave him. He said, it's the woman. Then the woman, in her deception, she tries to blame the serpent. But Adam is not done with his self-righteousness. He ultimately blames God. For he said, the woman that thou gavest me, somehow or another, it's God's fault that I have done this. It's God's fault that I lied. And from this, God curses all three. God curses the man, God curses the woman, and God curses the serpent. Man is cursed with physical death. First Corinthians 15 said that by Adam, death came upon all men. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it is appointed unto men once to die. All of this come about because one man chose to disobey God. He ate of that that God said don't eat of. Spiritual death is passed upon men. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible said, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Something inside of Adam died that day. Something perished. He was so guilty that he didn't want to even face the presence of God. He didn't want to look at God anymore. The very one that Adam was made in his image was made in his likeness. The knowledge that God shared with Adam, and yet because of sin, because of disobedience and transgression, when Adam hears the voice When Adam perceives the presence of the very one that breathed life into his nostrils, 
The Bible said they hid themselves from the presence of God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2, the Bible said, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Not only was there physical death, not only was there spiritual death, but there was eternal second death. Revelation chapter 20 says they were cast into a lake of fire, and this is the second death. And then Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 24, you shall die in your sins. And when you die with those sins that are not covered by the blood of Christ, when you die in your sins that are not confessed, repented, and under the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that is part of this curse again, and that is eternal second death barred from the presence of God forever. Someone that is listening today may be wondering, why does all of this still matter? I mean, this is stuff that happened at the very beginning of time, and these are people that we've heard about, but we don't know Adam and Eve. It's just something that, you know, people have made up. Some people have actually taken to the belief, and I'm talking about Christian people, have taken to the belief that it's all an analogy that's been made to show how sin can hurt a person's life. They think that Adam and Eve were not real people, that they didn't really exist, that it's a made-up story by some Jewish man that really got religious one day and he told a story about two people that God created and then you know the rest of the story. But we believe that this is correct according to God's account that he gave unto man. All of this matters because man has evolved as becoming more refined in his culture. We no longer live as barbarians for the most part. I know there's places in the world where we would call the people that live there barbarians, but the heart of man No matter how civilized, how refined, or how terrible, the heart of man has never been tamed. Until a man comes to Christ, he can do no better. He can dress up in suits. He can attend banquets. He can go to balls. He can do good deeds. But inwardly, man is corrupt. Some people have wondered, well, where did sin truly come from? Surely it wasn't the serpent. Surely it wasn't within man. Technically, sin comes from lust. And lust comes from our temptations. The devil is the source of our temptations, but it's at the heart of man where the problem is. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? We can blame all of this on Adam and Eve. We can blame much of it on Adam and Eve. But as Brother Chris said, it's in the heart of man to continually shift the blame and say, it's not me. It's not me. It's not my fault. I'm not the blame. But every man, James said, is drawn away and enticed by his own lust that dwells within your own heart. People have wondered about the nature of sin, what what it does and how it works. Well, I want you to realize that this takes us to a term that a lot of people find to be disagreeable, but the depravity of man is at work here. The depravity of man does not mean that man is as wicked as he can be. If so, everyone would be a mass murderer or a child molester or both. Every man has within him the potential to become as wicked as humanly possible. Depravity doesn't mean that a sinner has no knowledge of God. It doesn't mean that a sinner has no knowledge of good or evil. It means that he cannot help himself and he is totally bent to do that which his flesh desires. Unregenerate men can do good deeds. Hitler may have been very wicked and evil, but Hitler did do a few things that were good in his lifetime. A man who is totally depraved in every sense could do no good at all. Depravity states that all men are sinners and they are wicked by nature. Within the very best man on earth is the potential to become an Adolf Hitler or a Ted Bundy. 
What the depravity of man states is that no sinner has the power to please God within himself. All men are made in the likeness and image of God. Man can lose part of God's image within him, but he can't lose another part of that image. The image of man that can be lost is found in, in James chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. The image that cannot be lost is found in Ephesians 4 and 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Lie not one to another, saying that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. When Adam sinned, he lost a part of God's image that can only be regained by man being regenerated and allowed entrance to heaven to live with his maker. The most disastrous consequence of the fall was death. God had warned, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, Genesis 2 and 17. There were two trees in the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Adam and Eve willfully ate from the tree of knowledge, which led them to the knowledge of evil and to the knowledge of death. As God had warned them, they were driven from the garden, driven from the tree of life, and driven from the presence of God. Adam did not immediately die physically. As a matter of fact, he ended up living 930 years. But the process of disease and mortality began the moment he sinned. Hebrews 9 and 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? I'm going to allow Brother Chris Lee to pull us out right here. Well, the gospel means good news. It's hard to imagine anything good coming out of depravity. It's hard to imagine any good news coming out of fallenness and tragedy. But in the midst of man falling, in the midst of such tragedy, God has a plan of salvation, which is good news. The prophecy was, he shall bruise thy head. Man is cursed. Earth is cursed. The woman was cursed. But we find hope through Christ as he is our substitute. Romans chapter 5 said that by Christ we have received the atonement. That means the exchange the just for the unjust. So did man fall? Yes. Was man cursed? Yes. But so was Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He was our substitutionary atoner. Man was cursed with sorrows, but Isaiah 53, 4 said, he hath carried our sorrows. The earth was cursed with thorns, Matthew 27 tells us that Christ wore the crown of thorns. Man was cursed with sweat. Luke 22 and 44 tells us that Christ's sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. And man finally is cursed with death. But Hebrews 2 and 9 says that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So is man fallen? Yes. Is there a gulf between depraved man and a holy God? Yes. But Christ and grace built a bridge that spanned that gulf between man and God. I'm glad for that gulf being fixed between us. I'm sure many of you have seen the illustration. It shows a picture of a man standing on a precipice and God on another precipice, and there's no way for man to get to God. And then you see Christ on the cross being set in between the two precipices, and he's bridging the gap, and man can now get to God. Some have said that when Christ stretched out his hands on the cross, 
One hand grabbed a hold of man, the other hand grabbed hold of God, and reconciliation between man and God was made. This is the only way that the fall of man can be corrected is for man to come to the cross and to admit his state of fallenness, repent of his sins, and ask Jesus to save him from his sins and begin to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his might and to love him in those same manners. And then as you begin to live your life for him, you'll realize that you're turning around the curse as you're living your life. That which was once cursed will now be blessed. And what God has blessed, no man can curse. Brothers, once again, wonderful teaching. Great lesson today. We certainly enjoyed it and enjoy the teaching of God's Word. We have an email that was sent in to us concerning these episodes that the brothers are doing. I want to read it to you. Brother King and Brother Lee, I greatly appreciate what you guys are doing with this podcast. The in-depth study on the book of Hebrews has been extremely insightful and has opened my eyes to a lot of things that I previously didn't understand or had overlooked. Your bi-weekly look at systematic theology has also been extremely helpful as well. You guys are at liberty to take as much time to go as in-depth as you want. Where in a Sunday school class setting, we are typically held to more time constraints. I tremendously enjoyed the special edition number 15 on what God is not. I really enjoyed the way you guys explained the history of the Pentecostal holiness movement, as well as the other offshoots that are teaching false doctrines. You guys are doing a tremendous job and making a huge difference. Please keep up the great work. Friends, if you're enjoying these special editions, let us know. Or if you have a Bible question that you'd like an answer to, drop us an email at DK Ministries 1977 at yahoo.com. That's DK Ministries 1977 at yahoo.com. If you just got a comment about any special podcast, we welcome your input. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today, sharing God's word. But until next time, may God bless you all. We wish you a great day. May the Lord bless you. There might not be another chance for me. I want to lay down weights that beset me so I can keep my soul feeling free. I'll gladly bear the reproach, Lord, for the gospel's sake. Where I go, you've already been there, cause I'm walking in Jesus' name. Well, I'm walking in Jesus' name, I'm going where he bid me go. I'm dressing and talking like he wants me to, he's a keeper of my soul. I have learned to lean on Jesus and cast on him my ever concern. I'm looking for a home in glory where no sorrow will ever